Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a bonus podcast. It's me discussing the seventh primordial album, Redemption at the Puritan's Hand. It also should be a video video cast on YouTube and on my own YouTube channel. Um, Instagram is nemtiang underscore primordial. YouTube, just search my name and you will find it. And if you want to look at it, go over there and take a look. All right. Redemption at the Puritan's Hand. Okay. So for about the third or fourth time, I'll try and make this possible. Uh, Technology keeps defeating me. I'm an analog man in a digital world. Doesn't fit. Anyway, so the seventh primordial album, Redemption at the Puritan's Hand. This is what I'm going to talk about. Of course, um, I didn't do the album reviews or discussions in order, of course. That would have been far too practical and far too simple. I've done them piecemeal and hopefully this one will also be a video YouTube thing as well. Blah, blah, blah. Um, So this is Redemption of the Puritans and this is the seventh album. And so what I'm going to do is have a bit of a chat about my recollections about it, uh, what it means, what the aesthetics are, the lyrics, the general thematic whatever you want to call it first off most people notice that it is a very stark white color um the 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 album itself even though it doesn't have one firm concept it has a few overarching narratives and one of that is um spirituality about the structures we build around ourselves on have done for thousands of years to try and explain our relationship to things we didn't understand. So, you know, create the creation of religion. Um, it's about the structures we placed around ourselves to deal with death, mortality, um, you know, simple, easy subjects. Um, and so on those terms, I wanted to make it stark and white, almost virginal, I guess, almost religious looking. That was the intention. Um, and also quite striking visually and aesthetically. That was the intention. I think we achieved that. Um, 
we recorded it in Wales in Foles Studios or we'd made to the Nameless Dead. To the Nameless Dead I'll get to in some other one of these. Um, and we went back there with a little bit more time to make this record. And it didn't really, how can we say, every even record seems like quite an easy process and every odd record is somehow seems like hell. A hell is a bit of an overstatement, but you understand what I mean. Um, this is number seven, so this one was a pain in the arse. Basically what happened is that um, it was December, it was, we were up to our knees in snow, we nearly didn't even get home from the studio. Um, normally what you do is you record a block first, take a little gap, at least this is in theory, this is the way I would rather do it, then go back and put overdubs like vocals, lead guitar, um, a few overdubs, that kind of stuff, then take a break and then mix. But what we did this time was we took the overdubbing and the mixing sort of back to back. Um, and the first part um, in a different block, maybe a month previous. So what happened was that I went over early to do um, singing and became very, very ill, like really, really ill. A swine flu was sort of lurching around the UK at the time. And... Um, I'm pretty sure that's what got me. Like, it really got me. It was Sunday evening. We were going to start the vocals on Sunday, and I started to get sick. And at one stage, I couldn't even walk 10 yards. I had asthma so bad. Um, I, I just couldn't function at all. Sweating, um, flu symptoms. Um, and I had to record vocals in the middle of this. And I remember just being sleeping all day when I could finally get to sleep in the dusty old farmhouse. And then being uh, up all night, um with just feeling awful. But for the two or three hours where I felt less awful, I managed to do some singing. And that's somehow is the singing on this. I have no real exact recollection of any specific instance. And that's probably because I was in some sort of state of um, nauseous state or something like this. Uh, so in a way, it's quite incredible that it got done. Um, some people say you've got to suffer for your art, which is fair enough. I understand that in hindsight. Um, at the time, it doesn't make it any less of a pain in the arse when you're trying to sing, going through what must feel like withdrawal symptoms to f a fucking junkie or something like this. Um, so that's the backdrop of the album for me. And then when we went to mix it, we were doing 12, 14, 16, 18 hour days. I think we even pulled an all night or two. The internet, um, the internet wasn't very strong. Uh, the two of us were there, me and Paul were trading files back and forth. It would take hours to get replies. The internet was then broken. People wanted updates. People, it just the whole thing was a mess. And the thing about mixing is that you've got to be on the up. You've got to be slept well. You've got to be, I think, feeling positive and sort of vibrant, if I can use that. It's an unusual phrase for me to use. I understand that. Um, but you've got to feel up for it. If you're remotely downcast or feeling tired or irritable it's going to be a nightmare and I just came back off this sickness whereby I I almost was hospitalized but they brought me down to this doctor in the NHS there who filled me full of crazy drugs and stuff like this and I was coming off the back of that feeling which was deeply unpleasant and we went into this then this freezing cold dusty mixing session where we had to rush because there was another band in on Sunday morning and the whole thing was um the whole thing had a sort of shadow cast over it, at least for me. 
And oddly enough, there is two versions of the first song on the first two pressings of the vinyl. Um, I don't know whether they'd be discernible to the naked ear. Probably one has a bit slightly louder drums, but we were so obsessed with the second mix and fixing it that we changed it. At least that's how I remember it. So if you have the first and second edition of the vinyl, maybe play them. <laughs> See the difference? I don't know. So um, anyway, so that's the backdrop of the record. Uh, personally, I think it's one of our strongest records. It's one of my favorite records. I think it has some of the best songs we ever made on it. Um, we were in sort of quite a rich vein of songwriting around then from, you know, this whole uh, To the Nameless Dead and this this album sort of go together. And I think that those two albums are one of my favorites that we've or two of my favorites that we've made. I mean, um, like I said, the theme, it, it was an unusual thing because I think that to write redemption songs as as I meant them when I'm talking about the new album, say Exile, say Last Call or something, if you know that, want to look it up. The idea of writing redemption songs when you're in your 30s isn't really correct. So I was still dealing with the sort of black metal, ideological, um, arcane, whatever you want to call it, way of looking at some of the world, but was flinging myself into sex, drugs and rock and roll. So there was a form of redemption, as in I was very influenced by country music at the time. Waylon Jennings, Hank Williams, Johnny Cash... Towns Van Zandt, that kind of stuff, and this redemptive quality, but knew I couldn't quite write redemption songs. Although Bloody Dead Unbowed is about as near as you can get, no 4am whiskey-soaked wisdom or bloody-knuckled politic, um, was kind of leaning into the Brendan Bean cliche of being Irish, being the rabble-rouser, being the late-night raconteur, being up to the brim with pints and then pouring whiskey on top and getting in a scraper. And those cliches are cliches for a reason, because they did exist, and we all did them and subscribe to them sometimes uh, but this album is also about apology it's about the process of saying okay we're flawed we do fuck up and living through that trying to sort of as I said fling my hat in the ring with all that sort of stuff it's now looking back a bit more middle-aged you could I think you have the life experience to write actual redemption songs but this was like a formative step on the process. So it was a mixture of aesthetics and principles and um, lyrical outlook. But there's definitely, it's tinged with a sort of growing older, losing your, how can we say, a lot of the pagan metal of the time, even though I don't really consider us or didn't pagan metal, a lot of the pagan metal of the time was very triumphalist in, in, in a sense, very fantastical, very cartoonish. And although To the Nameless Dead, um, had elements of that. It was more about nation building and the up, leading up to the First World War and the sacrifice and martyrdom of um, nation states and that kind of stuff. Um, it still had a sort of more uplifting feel to it. This album is quite, I'm not going to say downcast, but it's a bit more maudlin in its dealing with the process of aging. So it's about dealing with mortality. So... Um, I mean, I look at some of the songs on it. I mean, Bloody Dead Unbowed is the, is the sort of whiskey drinking anthem, but it, it also resonated with people because it said, um, we fuck up, we're flawed. You know that thing I did at 4am? It was another me that did that. Or the Jekyll and Hyde or 
look, this is life. We've got to we've got to create our own mythology around ourselves. We've got to live a life with a little regret, um, which is ironic, seeing as we're in this strange lockdown situation where every day runs into the same thing. Um, the sense of adventure, but regret, but um, excitement and fucking up and all these human processes, which I'd begun to write about in a much more straightforward and stark kind of way. They weren't as heavy with metaphors or vague allusions to um, mythology or this kind of stuff. They were just about being human. And so that was part of the process of the, um, I suppose, the spiritual process, the process of gnosis. You know, I was saying that there was a journey, but not necessarily a destination. At least that's how I saw it. No grave is deep enough is the same vocal line as I want to be somebody. Have you ever noticed that? You say you don't want to run and hide, place that no one knows. All of the God's children, they all have to die. Little, uh, you know, nice thing for me to enjoy every time I sing it live that maybe people didn't really get. Anyway, that's became the opener of the set and still to this day often is. And you need to be on your game to sing that song it's pretty difficult there's there's not so many breaths in it and it's very fast and you know it, it definitely taught me vocally that if you're going to step up and sing that in your first song have yourself together and don't be dragging yourself off the floor um, in a hot mess because you're not going to sing it properly um lane with the wolf is one of my favorite songs we ever wrote um and i think one of the most important and i think one of my favorite lyrics that I managed to put together. It's influenced by uh, Steppenwolf by Herman Hess, which is a book that I recommend to anybody to read, especially um, men approaching middle age or moving through the end of their youth, because it really speaks to you about the mortality of your masculinity and the, um, the process of aging and also dealing with some of the darker sides of your natural instincts maybe something like that without sounding too pretentious, but a really influential and beautifully written book that I would recommend. And so Lane with the Wolf, I just wanted this day and night dichotomy, this, um, I'm very much a person, uh, you know, sort of like always had a, a very nocturnal body clock. I was always up at night. I'm always up late. I rather work in the dead of night when everybody else is asleep. I don't really do mornings very well, so to speak. And it was about the, you know, living after midnight, so to speak, you know, you know. Uh, and I also just in really dumb terms wanted to write a wolf song um, as a little doff of the cap to heavy metal tradition, to bands who are friends of ours like Destroyer 666 and all of our Australian friends and that kind of thing. Uh, the idea of pack, of friendships, of all that kind of stuff mixed in. Uh, to you know, I like the let's go and the uh, and the a little doff of the cap now and then, and you'll find lyrics from Blood Revolt in Primordial Align, or there's lines of things that I've maybe robbed a line from Leonard Cohen. One, um, and I really personally, I really like this sort of web of uh, this confusing web of. Uh, not uh, how we say nods and winks so to speak that if you're really into primordial you can hear 
oh, that's a line from album one. And, you know, lots of people don't like that. Even people in the band don't like that. But I've always done it, even from the first demo. So um, maybe it's just an, another one of my annoying personal uh, traits. So God's Old Snake is a song about Alistair Crowley and fits into the theme of the album very well because I wanted um, Crowley's search for revelation um, is very much within keeping of the album. And like I said, the process of gnosis, but not necessarily arriving at the destination. And so the, the, what the, the, the idea behind the song is, did Crowley arrive at that destination because of mind altering substances? And the fact that he really genuinely seemed to be a sort of malign presence in the sort of occult pantheon really sort of I found deeply fascinating and also you can see in the album cover I've um, all of these medieval woodcuts um, which I suppose are a little bit before most of the black metal orthodoxy where every black metal album now has a woodcut on it but it fit the idea of the medieval concept of the reformation and though I went to write on write more about that you know um martin luther and stuff on nail their tongues on exile but it fits with um the general theme of the album about um the religious process or the process of enlightenment revelation that kind of thing and the human flaws that go with it trying to interpret it you know the the sort of zoomorphic deities we inherited from our hunter-gatherer past which um, or how we understood the forest or lightning or how we kept a perimeter around our group to say, you know, don't forage too far in the forest or the god of the forest will take your spirit or whatever. How that then became kind of, that sort of morphed into this, um, well, I suppose ultimately a duopoly, but, or the one omnipotent god that we have now as our, um, as our main, how we say, progenitor. No, that's the wrong word. I don't know. Anyway, the how the faces of the gods change. And at one time they were flawed and human like us. You know, look at the Greeks or the Roman pantheon of gods. And you they didn't all demand praise or one didn't ultimately demand all praise. And you could have your temple to Artemis or Dionysus or Bacchus or your own particular one that you identified with based on your own flaws maybe um so crowley fits into the concept because of his um search for revelation so to speak and also as a flawed and very dark human being mouth of judas um was inspired by a greek um let me think about this um i'm not sure what the name of the greek parable the greek myth is where a um, a wife sends her husband off to war and the husband is supposed to um, have raised a, a red sail when he comes back to let her know she's al he's alive, you know, and he goes off for many years to war. It could be a white sail, but he gets drunk the night before celebrating the battle and leaves the black sail up and uh, his wife throws herself off the cliff because she thinks he's dead. Um, and I'm very much inspired by just the imagery, the aesthetic, there isn't a huge deeper meaning to it, really, I suppose, just about, uh, you know, the uh, well, the idea of Judas as the first liar 
and Cain and Abel. And again, this religious theme of the flawed human trying to relate to the gods or God. And um, I just wanted this really, sometimes the lyrics don't necessarily have huge complex meaning or metaphor. They're really, they're supposed to invoke um, visuals. So the start, we, you know, I think the song sounds a bit like an ocean going song. I could almost imagine, you know, bows creaking and wood creaking and wind in the sails. And um, that was kind of what I was trying to portray visually. The Black 100 is about the Bolshevik revolution and the list of religious leaders they had that they were going to um, massacre. And how ultimately, 100 years later, when you looked at Orthodox society or the Orthodox Church, it survived. So I suppose the idea is that faith will outlive authoritarianism because people have to have something to believe in. Um, and this was a common theme behind the Iron Curtain where people were, you know, persecuted under a secular atheistic system. Um, but faith persisted because if you're going to give people absolutely nothing to live for, then maybe they have to live for the existential, so to speak. Uh, Puritan's Hand is a little bit similar to Mouth of Judas. Um, it, it, it's, it's, I was quite inspired on a trip uh, to the Mediterranean, old, old Greek Orthodox churches and these super white churches in the sun. And I remember just standing watching um, a bunch of very old, uh, I guess they were nuns, just like standing outside with all their prayer beads and stuff and watching them slowly way, make their way up the hill. And I, I wanted to just somehow make that a visual in the song. Um, and that was quite um, an interesting visual experience. And like I said, very often there isn't, uh, there isn't some... People often claim the lyrics for their own meaning, and that's fine. But sometimes what you're trying to do is just... Mm, uh, the songs are written in such a wide cinematic uh, breath that you're just trying to add the, let's say, the colour to the, to the black and white palette or something like this, you know? You know? Uh, little alchemical symbols there. That's always fascinated me, the process of alchemy which I suppose at the same time was just that the idea of the philosopher's stone and um, the separation of science and magic. Uh, the death of the gods is a bit more political, I suppose. The idea was that this was just after the big crash in 2008. And the idea was that what would the, what would the men and women of the Irish rebellion in 1916 say when they looked at the way our government had sold out the Republic um, to, you know, the Troika and the IMF and the international banking system that um, basically just threw us into austerity for a decade. And that was the origins of it. And then it took on the idea that I put Greek and Roman, um, I don't know why, really, um, gods into it and how our relationship to men and women as gods and and their flawed influence and character. And it's a kind of mishmash of two 
different ideas that I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure if I listened back to an interview I did in 2011, I'd explain it much better. Um, but that was the intention, and it fit. It it the. I suppose the whole process of it is that, um, men and their deeds, take on the. Form, of gods in our modern mythology, something like this, you know. Um, I need to put a few euro in the tip jar for the amount of times I say, you know. So it's the seventh album. Um, it's many people's favorite, which I understand. I mean, personally, it could be mine. I don't know. I think it's, I think we're really, ha we're in a rich vein of form. And what's important for me also is that, and it's always been important with Primordial, is that if you just go down the song titles, you can put a chorus or a, the hook or the harmony or the, oh, that's that song. And too much modern metal at the time, or at least in this century, decade, whatever, um, doesn't have enough, um, well, memorable stuff in it. And I don't mean that in a Def Leppardy kind of way. I mean that there's been an, an awful lot of concentration on unwriting songs, the process of dissonance all the time, trying to make things as complicated and dissonant and sludgy and grimy as possible. And I think at the time with a song like Bloody Dead and Bad, I really wanted to go the other way to make, um, you know, a huge uplifting rabble rousing song that struck to the core of something human, that it wasn't fantasy, you know. Yeah, another one. Okay, the seventh album, Redemption at the Puritan's Hand. Let me know what you think in the comments. I think the shirt of it is going to be reprinted. Um, yeah. Share, subscribe. This should be a video cast, but also, I guess, a bonus podcast. It depends what you're going to be listening to it on. If you're listening to me just as a podcast, you're not going to see my stupid face. Um, but there you go. That's life. You're just going to have to deal with it. Redemption at the Puritan's hand.